y'all. Welcome back to Is That Too Dark? I'm Nikki. And I'm Kaylin. And we're going to get dark today. Spooky dark, yeah. It's spooky season. We're in week two. Um, Just to let everyone know, we are still virtually recording, so bear with us. I think we have two more episodes, and then we'll be reunited for our Halloween finale. Extravaganza. The extravaganza. So bear with us if the audio is bad. Um, but I've gotten some reviews, Caitlin, from oh. your last episode. Hit me with it. I'm scared. Every <laughs> single person has said they were going to throw up. Good. That was the goal. <laughs> um, so yeah. I think week one of spooky season, uh, dark season, was disgusting. And literally, <laughs> like, three people have been like, I was about to throw up. I had to pause multiple times through the episode. Fair and I'm like, I want to tell you all, how do you think I feel having to record it? And edit it. Well, I had to research it. So <laughs> at least you got the warning from me that it was like a rough one. This but, is true. Yeah. It's very <laughs> rough. But this week, it's my week. Um, but first, we have some news. What is your news for the week, Kaylin? So I am positive that all of you have heard the buzz around um, the Zodiac Killer update. But just in case you haven't, um, Casebreakers believes that they have found the Zodiac Killer after 50 years. I'm not convinced. I don't know if you're His name is Gary. It's Gary. (laughs) Not Gary. (laughs) I mean, he has three names, so that's kind of a compelling one for me. Yeah. But I'm not convinced. So I'm not either. And I don't think we will be until, you know, we get full answers. But I did want to break down some of the evidence that they're kind of pointing to. For sure. Um, Let's do it. So to give you a little background, um, Case Breakers is a volunteer investigation slash cold case solving group. Um, They're comprised of mostly retired, like, FBI agents, police officers, detectives. So they're not your average, like, armchair crime solvers. They are people with experience in the field, Um, which my initial inclination would be to kind of believe them. But, you know, again, no confirmation yet. Are these the same people that think the smiley face killers are all, like, is a thing? I believe so, actually, now that you say that. So that's where it sounds familiar to me. And I know it's like retired detectives putting it together. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different episode. But yeah, (laughs) Um, I mean, like I said, this is one of those. It's brand new information. Literally, I think I texted Nicole on Tuesday, maybe, and was like, oh, my God, I think they found this. Oh, my God. I was at work and I was like, (laughs) hold the door. I was like, my day has been awful, but this might have turned it around. Shut all the windows. We have to look at Shut into the this. windows, hold the door. I'm off work. I need a break. <laughs> yeah. So um, the casebreakers believe that Gary Francis Post is the Zodiac Killer. Um, he died in 2018, so we'll never be able to get like a full-on confession unless he wrote one before he died, but that's what's kind of holding me in suspension. Like, is it real? Is it not real? Who knows? Um, I mean, I think at this point, anyone they find is probably going to be dead. Right. Well, that's the thing. We talked about this with the Scott Peterson case. Like there's circumstantial evidence that ties Gary to the crime scenes, but not necessarily anything forensic yet. They still have to go through DNA testing and everything. Um, Yeah. But I wanted to break down what they were seeing that made them believe it was him. The first thing is they found photographs of him in his secret dark room that look just like the police sketches from the Zodiac case. Um, He does look similar to the sketch. I will go over that. But all white people look the same. (laughs) True. And it's the glasses. Um, But he has scars that match witness descriptions of the Zodiac Mm. killer. Um, He was also in the United States Air Force. He has since retired or been discharged. Um, But the first thing they were pointing out was that he was seen at a at March Air Force Base Hospital with a gunshot wound 15 minutes after the first Zodiac sling. And it was only like two miles away from the site. Um, So there's that. He matches the description with his scars. 
The third thing is a Timex wristwatch was found at one of the scenes of the crimes. Um, the police believe it to have been purchased at a military base exchange, which is just one of the shops on base in the 60s. Um, How would you narrow that down? I guess the style and all of it's a Timex wristwatch. So they have all the stamps from like when they were designed or created. Wow. Um, what detective work there? I, no. Well, we couldn't solve it. Come on. I know, honestly, 50 years, you guys, get on it. But the timing of this watch, like, if it was created in the 60s and purchased in the 60s, coincides with Gary's time in the military. Um, and there was also paint splatter on the watch face. After Gary's time in the military, he worked as a house painter for decades. So it would make sense, you know, if this was his and he was the Zodiac and he was painting. Like, all of these things, like I said, circumstantial. The most compelling thing to me, though, is that um, there's a man named Will. He's a known Zodiac whistleblower, um, escaped from a crime posse led by Gary Post and claimed that Post groomed him to be a killing, quote, machine. Interesting. Um, he also claims to have witnessed Gary burying murder weapons. He doesn't say what kind of weapons or anything like that but in will's experience post is sadistic he's a killing machine he buries murder weapons and leaves dna and other evidence at the scene of crimes he's just got um, a lot going on he's right a busy so boy right so the circumstantial evidence is all there um like i mentioned before there's not really any dna tying him yet but that is because the fbi has not done any sort of dna testing with Gary's DNA against what they have on file for the Zodiac. Do we know if they're uh, planning to? They are planning to. Um, they just, for whatever reason, aren't doing it yet. Um, so I want to be very clear. Um, the FBI has not and will not confirm that Gary is their guy. They say the Zodiac case is still open and unsolved, but they are looking into the claim that Gary Post fits the description and the criteria to be the Zodiac killer. How are we going to solve the Zodiac before <laughs> we find Brian dirty laundry? I know. And that's what I was going to say is like, there's so many things going on in the crime world right now. And there's so many things Crazy. we can focus on. So I thought it might be nice to have like, I, and it's funny that the Zodiac killer is considered lighthearted, but Oh God, I know, he, you know, it's 50 years ago and we're not actively searching. For I think it's because we aren't over 50. So, so we don't remember right. any of this Right. where I'm sure like, people that knew that are still alive that knew what was going on are like traumatized by this but we're like ha 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 ooh is it is it like i just can't imagine like his victims families being like again we're going through this shit again right. and again and again the fact that it's like still being updated and we still don't know but um, i don't know i just have a feeling that this these are cases that this one and john bonnet i just feel like are never going to be solved or if they are, we're always going to have the doubt that it's, like, actually solved. Yeah. I mean, Jamine, I really don't think will ever be solved. But this one, like, I guess if the DNA matches, there you go. Right. Home run. But why are we not rushing to do this? Like, it, it's easy now, right? I don't know. I'm not a DNA expert. <laughs> so, in closing, I know we're eventually going to do an episode on the Zodiac Killer. But in the meantime, I will be sure to keep following this, give you guys any updates. If they do confirm that Gary's the guy... Um, but yeah, that was my crime news for the week. Wow. I know that was not something I expected. Like I've been glued to my phone, um, because of obviously Brian dirty laundry for those reasons. And when you sent me that you were, cause all I saw on my watch was like, Oh my God. And I was like, Oh God, they found him. And then I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Right. How are you going to hit me with Zodiac? Killer? How are you going to hit me with Zodiac? Oh, <laughs> uh, I always was hoping it was my uncle to be honest. <laughs> Can you imagine? That would be well, he would have been probably the age of two when the crime started, but I do think it would have been a good story for him. I mean, maybe. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Are you ready to get into some dark shit? Yeah, girl. Let's hear it. All right. This one's for you, Gary. <laughs> Not a Gary, bro. How's, how's a serial killer going to be named Gary? <laughs>
today, first of all, I don't think we've asked you. I, we, I have multiple personalities. How are you doing today? Did we ask this in the intro? Girl, I don't know. How are you? Not good. But okay. thanks for asking. It's been a hard <laughs> week. So uh, I know we've been texting a lot. And I literally finished this research, blah, 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 research yesterday. And um, I've been very much procrastinating because um, I'm depressed. <laughs> Surprise. And, you know, Mental this health. week has not been good um, for lots of reasons. But finally pushed through, finished this research. Um, and I figured, you know, your episode last week was very dark. Um and I will admit, you are definitely more of the spooky gal in this duo. Um, I am not much of a Halloween gal. I know we're big frauds here. Um, but what I do like is murder. So today, and I, you know, I like, I love the ner- nature versus nurture debate. And I think this case may be the epitome of nature versus nurture. Oh. So I'm telling you the case about Mary Bell, a.k.a. I love how you gasp like I haven't told you what I'm doing. <laughs> AKA the 11-year-old serial killer. Girl, it's like the opposite of James Bulger. I'm excited to hear. I don't actually it, know that much about her case, so it is and it's it's a case where I think if you're very pro on like nature versus nurture, whatever side you're on, it might really kind of blur the lines between it. Gotcha. So this is a other side of the pond case. We're going to England today. Um, Mary Flora Bell was born on May 26, 1957 to Elizabeth or Betty Bell in Newcastle, England. Mary was actually Betty's second child, um, but she was only 17 when Mary was born. She was obviously not a planned baby. And when Mary was born, Betty shouted, take that thing away from me. Oh, my God. So moments into this world and Mary is already not a wanted child. Um, Betty also suffered from bipolar disorder and was an alcoholic. Mary believed her father was a man named William or Billy Bell. So we have Betty and Billy. Um, Cute. I know we're in England, but this is some redneck ass names here. (laughs) So Betty and Billy. Billy was abusive, an alcoholic, and a well-known criminal. He was in and out of jail a lot. Um, and loved to rob places. <laughs> um, despite Betty and Billy being married, Billy kind of did what he wanted. He came and went, did his thing, just living the dream. I really don't know his age at this time, but if Betty was 17, I'm guessing he was hopefully pretty young as well. Yeah. Um, it was never confirmed if Billy was Mary's biological father, but that is what she always thought. And this is because um, Betty was a sex worker, and that was her profession. We'll talk a, that about that a little bit more in a second. But Mary grew up in a very poor neighborhood, and crime was super common. Actually, in this neighborhood, it was very common, and you'll kind of hear more as we get into the story, that kids just kind of did what they wanted. They just kind of roamed around with no parental um, supervision. So you might ask yourself a lot, like, where are the parents? all of this there who knows where um it's very common that from the age of two and up the kids were just like roaming the streets on their own basically as soon as they could walk at all hours of the night people they would be out of the middle of the night they'd be out whenever and the parents wouldn't really be that concerned i mean i i mean i guess i don't that's i thought you were gonna say i get it and i'm like (laughs) what 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 do you get about this and it's not even one of those things like oh it's the 50s like it was you know we didn't lock our doors no i just think in this area, either the parents were working a lot or a lot of people just didn't care a ton about what their kids were doing. Um, so anyways, we'll talk more about this neighborhood in a little bit. On top of living in not the best neighborhood, their house was disgusting. Um, it was very dirty and there was very little furniture in it. Um, as I mentioned before, Betty was a local sex worker and frequently would leave her kids to go and work. Um, she would either leave them with Billy her sister, Catherine, or alone. And did they know this was what she was doing or? Um, From my understanding, yes. And I talk about it in a little bit too. Her sister tried to take Mary multiple times. Also, I don't know about her other sibling. I couldn't really find that much research on it. By the way, I used Wikipedia and Murderpedia um, for most of this. And they just said she was a second child. So I don't know where the first child is. 
if maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm gotcha. sure it's somewhere, but I, like I said, I'm depressed. So I didn't go on too many websites. <laughs> That's um, okay. So she would go to work. She specialized in BDSM sex work. And Mary would later say that she was a dominatrix. Um, Betty started selling Mary for sex at the age of four. Oh my God. That yes. hurts my heart. Like, yeah. Even if she's a monster still. That's... Yeah. And on top of being sold for sex, she also was physically abused. Um, she was a known bedwetter. She wet the bed a lot, and her mom would rub her face in her urine frequently. Like a puppy. That's Like a puppy, basically. So she would try not to sleep, or she would try not to get caught. She also, her mom would, when she did wet the bed, take the mattress out, hang it out in the yard so everyone could see. Basically, we have some sexual abuse going on for sure, physical abuse, probably verbal abuse, and some humiliation going on for Mary. And she's very young. Remember, she is probably like four or five. This has probably been going on since she was born, right? But right. she's very young at this point. Um, and bedwetting is one of those psychological, like, tale, telltale things of psychopaths. But I also think if she's being sexually abused, that's definitely another um, sign. Yeah, the McDonald triad uh, that is that precursor for this uh, psychopathy is often like evaluated in kids who do suffer from sexual abuse um and they're wondering if that bedwetting is a result of sexual abuse and therefore the sexual abuse is the precursor to um psychopathy just Mm. interestingly i mean i guess you could see that like you're in such a formative i mean your brain forms so much in the first three years and i could not what that does to your brain when those kind of things are happening to you you know yeah definitely um, before you can even understand really what the, you know, what any of that is, obviously. Anyway, yeah. so I'm sure right now you're thinking, this is tragic. It can't get any worse. You told me this was going to be a lighter episode. You might be lying. There's no <laughs> penis straws. Um, but it does Thank get God. worse. No penis straws. But never again. Never again. Um, but it does get worse. So like I said in the beginning, Betty didn't really want Mary. The first thing she said to her was get this thing away from me. So Betty tried to kill her a few times. Um, it was suspected that she tried to give her a lot of pills to have her overdose. Um, she one time went to the hospital and said that, uh, and got her stomach pumped and said her mom gave her smarties. She also had a friend that reported that she saw Betty giving Mary a lot of smarties. Now I'm guessing those are pills and they just look like Smarties. I'm not super sure. Um, But also on top of that, when that didn't work, Betty, uh, when Mary was only three years old, Betty dropped her from a two-story window. Two? Dropped or was thrown? Well, obviously thrown. You know, she probably just put her out the window and said, boop, bye. Oh, my God. Um, Mary somehow lived through this and the Smarties incident. So Betty said, that's fine. One day when she was walking out of a store with Mary... Um, She saw a woman crying on the corner and the woman said she wasn't allowed to adopt a child. So she said, here you go. You can have Mary. So she gave her Mary. Mary went home with this random woman and the woman bought her a lot of clothes and all this stuff in the few hours she had her. Um, When Betty told her sister, her sister said, if you don't go and get her, I'm calling the police. So uh, Betty went back and got Mary and the woman actually allowed Betty to take all the clothes and stuff that she bought for her. Oh my goodness. I literally, I feel like you're going to win like the podcast. Like it's too dark. (laughs) Thank you. Already so bad. Um, so no one really knows why Betty never gave Mary up when she was offered multiple times by people in her life, like, Hey, we'll take her. It's not a big deal. She always refused. And she always had this weird obsession with Mary. And as we go further into her life, you'll see more and more, especially like when she's on trial, just how like weirdly obsessed she was with her. Um, so Mary's behavior obviously was very impacted by this abuse. We already talked about how she was a bedwetter, but at school she would frequently get into fights with other children during these fights she would strangle or suffocate them her classmates learned mary's precursor behaviors if she was shaking her head a lot and giving what they call a steely gaze she was about to attack someone um she also frequently expressed her desire to hurt people and would lie a lot just about anything so as you could probably guess she didn't have a lot of friends growing up um she did have one friend at the age of five 
who lived in her neighborhood and if you don't think her life can get any worse at the age of five, her friend was hit by a bus and killed in front of her. Her one friend? Her one friend at the age of five. Oh. So even if she had a perfect childhood, this happening, I can only assume was so traumatizing. Like, she saw her die. Yeah. No, that's, like, one of the top top traumatic experiences you can have. Yeah. At the age of five. Jesus. So after that, Mary actually made one other friend. Her name is Norma Joyce Bell. No relation. I don't know if Bell was a very common last name or what, but they were not related. Um, Norma was actually born in 1955, which would make her two years older, but she was definitely the submissive friend in this relationship. Later, we'll talk a little bit about how people thought Norma might have been a little bit developmentally delayed. Um, but there's a lot that of speculation on both of their, um, intelligence, I guess. So on May 11th, 1968, Mary is 10 and Norma is 12. They claim they found they found a three-year-old boy, um, and he was bloody, confused, and wandering the streets. So Mary and Norma, obviously the good citizens they are, took him into a local bar and said, look, we found this little boy. He's obviously hurt. Once he was taken to safety, he said that he was playing with Norma and Mary, and they were playing on a rooftop. And at some point, he was pushed off the rooftop, falling seven feet. He had multiple lacerations to his head, but he couldn't remember if Mary or Norma pushed him. So I'm sure you're wondering at this point, why were they playing on a rooftop? Um, in this neighborhood where they grew up, there was just a lot of abandoned buildings. Um, it would be like people would come in to do construction, tear down half the building, and then give up and leave. So you'll notice frequently these all these crimes happen at abandoned buildings, and it's very just common in the neighborhood. They're run down. Um, the kids play in them. Like I said, the kids are not supervised. So they're kind of just doing whatever they want. And obviously they, their family doesn't have a ton of money, so they don't have a ton of toys. So they're just kind of making do with what they have around them, right? So the little boy said he, these two girls pushed him, but he didn't know who did it. The very same day, the police receive a complaint from a parent saying that Norma and Mary tried their three daughters um, the police brought Mary and Norma in for questioning, and they completely denied both of these claims. Um, but when they were separated, they told different stories. So Norma said that Mary tried to throttle the three girls, and while throttling one of them, Mary said, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? Oh, my. I literally can't. Like, the innocence coupled, coupled with the freaking sociopathic behavior like it's yeah so back and forth and you can tell she has a very interesting fascination with death um and i'm not a psychologist i wasn't even a psychology major but i just feel like her friend dying in front of her at the age of five probably made her really start to think at a very young age um norma claims she tried to push mary off of the girls but Mary, I guess, was just too strong. All the girls were physically fine, but I'm sure they were emotionally traumatized. Actually, I think they've been interviewed since, and they just talk about how she was, like, forcefully shoving sand down her throat, their throats, trying to kill them, basically. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. That, that would do it. <laughs> yeah. So, Mary and Norma were not charged with any crimes. They're pretty much just given a warning and let go. I think a lot of their behavior was chalked up to just them roughhousing and being children. Um, but you'll see how quickly they both escalate. Um, so I call this the beginning of the reign of terror because now we're moving on to May 25th, 1968. Four-year-old Martin Brown was found dead in the neighborhood. His family describes him as always being happy and very mischievous. On the day of his murder, he woke up before his family and made himself a breakfast of cookies. He then later woke his parents up and his siblings up. And then just left the house. Like I said, he's an independent four-year-old doing his thing. Um, so I don't know what he did for the day. But I guess he just wandered around and did what four-year-olds do when they're on their own. Um, he was seen buying a lollipop at the store around 3.15. At 3.30, his lifeless body was found by two young boys in an abandoned building. So only 15 minutes apart. Um, by the time the ambulance arrived at 3.35, he was already dead um, Mary and Norma were actually at the scene of the crime, and the police were like, please leave. Um, 
they didn't think, oh, what are you doing here? They were just like, get out of the way. Nope. They were like, You're, get out of the abandoned building. What are you two crazy kids doing here? Oh, my God. Goodbye. Um, his death was actually ruled to be of natural consequences. What? Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about how the police found him. Um, he had blood all around his mouth and spit all over him, but, and, uh, he, they found an open, empty pill bottle near his body. So they thought maybe he overdosed on the pills and just took them and didn't know what they were for. So that pretty much was it for the police. They said, sounds good to me. On May 26th, it was Mary's 11th birthday. It was the day after Martin's murder. Um, and she, you know, the big 11, how are we going to celebrate? Well, she was hanging out with Norma and Norma had like 10 siblings or something insane. Lots of siblings. Um, and she just decided to choke Norma's sister. Oh, okay. Cause it's so, extra. So it's her birthday. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Norma's father caught Mary choking her and pretty much pushed her off obviously. And kind of thought she was roughhousing with her and sent her home. He was like, I don't have time for this. So she went home, (laughs) ruined her 11th birthday plans. So the next day, it is now May 27th, um, a local nursery was broken into. The assumed robbers left four notes, one of which said, we did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. The other three notes said the F slur um, and the handwriting was very sloppy. Um, so I don't, there's really no point to read them, but it looked like either the writer was making their handwriting seem sloppy or it was written by someone who just didn't have good handwriting. I mean, it would make sense if it's done by children who, you know, don't have a strong parental presence. I would imagine no one's making them work on, um, penmanship or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So Mary decided she was bored one day and it was about a day or two after the robbery. Um, and she went over to Martin's house and knocked on the door and, you know, obviously the mother answered, um, looking at a little 11 year old girl said, what's good? What do you need? And she asked to see Martin and the mom was like, honey, Martin's dead. You can't see him. And she said, Oh, I know. He said, I want to see him in his coffin. I mean, (laughs) jeez. Yeah. So the police at this point do think these two cases are linked, the robbery and Martin's murder, just because of the notes alone. Um, So flash forward, it's now July 31st. You know, it's been almost two months. Three-year-old Brian Howe was found dead. Um, After he didn't return home for dinner, his parents gathered a search party to look for him. They didn't call the police, though. They just went searching the neighborhood. I guess it was weird that he didn't return home for dinner, but he had been gone all day, pretty much. Um, Guess who joined the search party? The girls. Of course. Mary and Norma were like, hey, we're on our way. We're going to help you find this boy. Um, And they took it very seriously. Obviously, they were laughing and dancing and singing. Right, because that's what you do in a search party. It's a Mm -hmm. party after all. Yeah, exactly. It's a search party. Um, So as night fell, they finally called the police, and around 1130, his bloody body was found. His cause of death was determined as strangulation. Brian and Martin's deaths were linked pretty quickly, um, and that's because the um, same detective reported to both murders, and their bodies looked very similar. Which is kind of confusing to me because Martin's was immediately ruled an accident and this Brian's wasn't. But I don't know. I Maybe that's when they realized, hey, maybe Martin's wasn't an accident. And they decided to like look into it further kind of thing. Exactly. And something I didn't mention is after Martin's murder, because it was an accident, the neighborhood kind of rallied around and was like, we need to get rid of these buildings. They're dangerous. Um, obviously nothing happened of it because just two months later, uh, a kid was found in another abandoned building, but for a minute there were some protests there. And of course, Mary and Norma joined those protests because they have, they have nothing better to do. Like is school happening? Like is anything happening? Apparently not. Um, Brian's body was in worse shape than Martin's. He was found bloody and beaten, but also the letter M was carved into his stomach gross okay and i guess it looked like it started as an n 
Um, but then later they could tell a different using a different tool. The last slash was carved into a stomach, which made it an M, which who has an N in their name and who has an M in their name? The besties. The bestie girls. So the police were pretty determined to solve these crimes and they were pretty convinced that all three were connected and they were specifically looking at children. The reason they were looking at children was because there wasn't a ton of force used to kill these kids. Um, and they figure that adults just naturally would have more strength, meaning more force. So as much as they did not want to think, oh my gosh, a child killed other children. That's kind of where the clues are pointing them. They ended up interviewing over 1,200 kids. Oh, can you imagine sitting through those like with any child? Oh my God. any type of attention span? Oh, oh no. (laughs) Oh God. More than five minutes with a kid and I'm like, I gotta go. Yes, bye. (laughs) Um, They obviously interviewed our girls, Mary and Norma, the bestie girls. During the questioning, Mary was very cool, calm, and collected. But normal was very antsy and hyper. Makes sense. Sure. Um, they both admitted that they played with Brian, but they claimed the last time they saw him, he was still very alive. Mary, however, had a story to tell. Um, she just really couldn't keep her mouth shut, to be honest. Liked the attention. Little Ex- Gemini. Yeah. She loved the attention. <laughs> um, she told the police that she saw an eight-year-old boy who is referred to as A playing with Brian and even beating him up. She said Brian looked like he was covered in dirt, grass, and weeds. She said um, that the that the eight-year-old was the other boy was walking around with a broken pair of scissors, and she saw him trying to cut off a cat's tail with these broken scissors. These scissors she described were like silver and kind of rusty. Um, now there are two issues with this story. Number one, the boy she qu- said was the uh, cat tail cutter offer mm-hmm. had an alibi. He was at the airport. So very solid alibi. And number two, the only people who knew about the broken pair of scissors found at the crime scene were the police. They so never basically like self-incriminated. <laughs> yep. Gross. Um, so the police were pretty positive that Mary was a perpetrator, but how are you going to be like, Oh yeah, this 11 year old killed two toddlers. Right. And robbed a nursery. No one wants to believe that. So on August 4th, um, Norma decided enough was enough and she was going to talk. She actually came into the police station with her parents and she said, I know who killed Brian. Her parents, uh, like I said, went with her. Or actually, sorry. They called the police and the police came to their house. It was a house interview. Gotcha. Um, Norma's first story, she told to police went a little bit like this. Mary came over and told her she wanted to show her something. Mary took her to Brian's dead body and told her exactly what it was like to strangle a person. She told Norma that she enjoyed choking the boy and ultimately killing him. She then handed Norma a razor blade and told into Brian. Um, Norma's story, the police believed because she took the police to the crime scene and showed them where they hid the razor blade, which the police had not found. Mm-hmm. And when asked to draw a picture of Brian and show where his injuries were, her picture was identical. I guess I'm just, I mean, I know Mary like kind of self-incriminated, but Norma having all these details would be suspicious to me too. Like, yeah, Mary told me like she enjoyed it or whatever, but also like, let me show you where it happened. And I don't know. Well, it's she just, took her to the body. Yeah. Is what she said. Gotcha. So, like I said, this was only her first story. She would later then admit to the police that she was actually there when Mary killed Brian. Gotcha. Um, but she didn't stop her because she felt loyal to her. After Norma's confession and Mary's fake story, the police were like, okay, we found the killers or killer. We know that they are responsible. Um, on August 5th, the police went to Mary's house to question her. Now... I don't mean to laugh, but Mary was kind of a badass. She automatically was defensive, and she said, you're trying to brainwash me. I will get a solicitor to get me out of this. <laughs> Go, girl. <laughs> and a solicitor is a lawyer yeah. for us, for all, all Americans over here. But, yeah, she <laughs> immediately was like, you're brainwashing me. You're wrong. So she's trying to gaslight the police, which I'm kind of into. Give it back, man. Despite her denial, 
the science doesn't lie. Um, gray clothing fibers were found on Brian's body. The yeast fibers were a perfect match for a dress Mary wore. The same fibers were found on Martin Brown's body. And red fiber was found on Brian, which was an exact match to Norma's clothing. Hmm. The police basically know they found their killers, their child killers. Um, but for some reason, they didn't immediately arrest Norma and Mary. They decided they needed to all attend Brian's funeral. Uh, okay. Yep. So on August 7th, I mean, I guess they're not going to escape. Where are they going to go? You know, they're not a flight risk, right? They're 11 and 13. Um, but I don't know. So on August 7th, over 200 people attended Brian's funeral. At the funeral, the detective on the case said Mary stood there laughing, laughing and rubbing her hands. Um, Detective Dobson knew if he did not bring her in, she was going to kill again. That same night, around 8 p.m., Mary and Norma were arrested and charged with the murder of Brian Howe. While Norma was hysterically crying, she was very upset about this. No- Mary's response was, guess what she said? She was like, shut up, you little bitch. <laughs> Close. But she just said, that's all right by me. Oh, boy. So... We're going back to questioning. Um, When Mary was first questioned, she said, yeah, I did break into the nursery with Norma, but claimed Norma murdered Brian. At this point, Norma and Mary turned on each other. They were done. This lifelong friendship ended. Yeah, two Um, years later. Like I said, no one could really believe that either of these girls could commit these horrific crimes. Like, what? I mean, how could you believe that? How could you believe that ever? Why would you want to believe that? Um, So before the trial, the police ordered extensive psychological testing to be done. I think they were trying to find any excuse for these girls to commit these crimes. That wasn't that they were just child psychopaths. Um, Psychiatrists found that Norma was intellectually delayed and she was a follower who was easily swayed by peer pressure. She was also found to be extremely emotional Now, if Norma was yin, Mary was her yang. Um, The psychiatrist found Mary to have no mental disorders, but he did diagnose her with psychopathic personality disorder. This disorder is also known as psychopathy or sociopathy. They're all kind of interchanged. Um, A person with psychopathic personality disorder are often antisocial. They feel little empathy or remorse, are egotistical and extremely manipulative. Mary was also said to be very smart and was probably very easy, could very easily manipulate Norma. Um, so basically, I'm Mary in the situation and you're Norma. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, no, it's us. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're older than me, but I, you're definitely the more submissive friend. Yeah. <laughs> I would say this is the case. Also, I just got a really bad cramp in my leg. Ow. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. Tragedy. My body said you are a psychopath. (laughs) She said. Um, So, Dr. David Westbury, um, when questioned about Mary, said, Mary's social techniques are primitive and take the form of automatic denial, manipulation, complaining, bullying, fight, or violence. So, again, I just, I really feel like he's talking about me here. (laughs) Bullying, (laughs) uh, denial, manipulation, complaining. people join your... um... My built bar cult. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's cult. truly me. <laughs> yeah. Truly me. So on December 5th, uh, 1968, the trial for the murder of Brian and Martin began. The girls both pled not guilty. And what's interesting is they were put on trial together, but they had separate lawyers. So oh. basically they were on trial together. They were both saying they weren't guilty, but they were blaming the other person. Like, that was the main argument for both defenders. Within the same case? Like, yeah. the same trial? Okay. Yep. <laughs> Very confusing here. I would say, you know, the, 1968 was a wild time. Like, I could, could you imagine being the jury? Your head would be swinging back and forth. Like, what do we believe here? Um, <laughs> Norma was defended by R.P. Smith, and Mary was defended by Harvey Robson. The defense requested for the girls to stay anonymous because of their age, which is pretty much honored a lot in Europe. I would say in America, no one cares about privacy, but in Europe, like children are very heavily protected. Um, Justice Ralph Cusack said, no, we're not doing this. So that means the media had access to the girls' names and could photograph them and can basically treat them like 
adults. So I'm sure this was a media frenzy for the time. Um, The prosecution's opening statement lasted six hours. During these six hours, they said that although Mary was younger than Norma, she was the ringleader of the murders. They also said that they acted together despite Mary being the dominant party. So they were putting blame on both the girls. The prosecution said the motive for murder was for pleasure and excitement and honestly entertainment, which is scary if you think about it. I mean, it's just like... There's nothing better to do, right? So I guess not. What else do you have to do? Walk around abandoned buildings and kill people. What else do you do at the age of 11, you know? Same thing I do at the age of 20, whatever I am. Lay in bed and cry? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Gotcha, gotcha. I got it. Um, They argue that the girls knew the difference between right and wrong and knew what they were doing was wrong. Now, for the defense... Um, Norma and Mary actually both testified. So that this gets, when I wrote this, I was confused and I'm still confused. Okay. Um, Norma said that she was aware of Mary's violence towards children and they discussed harming and killing children. Um, I guess a lot, but she denied any involvement in the murders. Um, Norma said that she could have alerted a group of boys about Brian's murder, but didn't know if nor or if Mary was actually going to go through with it. So that's interesting. You know, yeah. she's being, she's strangling someone and has strangled many people before, but she said maybe she actually wasn't going to go through with it. Yeah. Like maybe she was just pretending the other times, even though the only times that she was ever stopped strangling someone is when someone physically pulled her off. Like Norma's dad said he literally had to punch her in the oh, arm wow. to get her to stop strangling her sister. Yikes. Yeah, so I'm a little confused about Norma saying that. Um, Now, Mary, when she testified, she said Norma was a liar um, and that she did absolutely nothing wrong. Okay. (laughs) So she admitted that, yeah, I did see Martin's body, but I didn't hurt him. She even at one point had a breakdown on the stand, started crying, and had to have a policewoman take her off the stand and she was given a break. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I would say that's a lot of faking, but manipulation right there. I don't believe for a second she was actually upset about it, but whatever. Um, so she then said that Norma killed Brian and Martin on her own, and she didn't tell the police because she was loyal. She was a loyal friend. Did you ever I watch mean, Love Island? Yeah, girl. <laughs> when Georgia was always like, I'm loyal, babe. I'm loyal. This is how I imagine yeah. Mary on the stand. I'm loyal, babe. I'm loyal. Ugh, what a, so she's she's what a, a loyal gal. Um, when questioned about Brian's murder, Mary said, I was just standing there looking. I couldn't move. It was as if some glue was pulling me down. End quote. Now, when I read these quotes, it really makes me realize that, oh, yeah, these girls are 11. Yeah. Like, she's 11 years old. Like, it's sad. Anyways, Mary said she could tell Norma was strangling both Brian and Martin extremely hard because her hands and fingertips were turning white. Now, like I said, the girls were pointing the finger at each other. um, But Norma's mother uh, would also testify. And this is kind of when things sway more in Norma's guilty. Sorry, Mary's guilty and Norma is innocent type of thing she said like i said when she caught her and her husband caught norm or mary oh my gosh their names i can't keep them straight mary (laughs) strangling susan which is norma's sister that her husband basically had to punch her to get her off of susan um and this another piece of evidence against mary was her journal she had the police found a journal entry where mary told a story very fictional. Okay, before I tell you the story, it's very fictional. Okay, bedtime story, not real life. So this is the story. Um, the story was she a boy was found dead in an abandoned building with a bottle of pills n- near him. And there was a little drawing, too, just so you could visualize it, of um, two men that, you know, were looking about the same as the men that found Martin and pill bottles next to the body. Just in case the statement, two men and a pill bottle and 
the dead boy were there? We're visualizing it, it. Okay. She's a she's an artist. She's an author. She's a writer. Sure. Um. Now, we all know this is about Martin's murder, but the police never released the information that a pill bottle was found near his body. So the only yeah. people that would have known this <laughs> were the police, the men who found Martin, and the killer. So... These two pieces of evidence right there, I think, are damning enough. Um, also, the fibers, I'm sure, were brought up in court, as well as um, handwriting analysis, which I know is very faulty, uh, basically show that the four notes that were written in the robbery were a collection of Norma and Mary's handwriting. So they were collaborating. A collaboration. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. Um, which shows that Norma was also guilty, right? Anyways. So... Uh, for closing arguments, Norma and Mary's lawyers had very similar statements. They basically just blamed the other girl. Right. Norma was innocent because Mary was a perpetrator, and Mary was innocent because Norma was a perpetrator. Honestly, they could have had the same defense lawyer, and they could have just argued two different things. Done that thing where he's, like, wearing half of one outfit and half of another outfit. <laughs> they just, just put a hat and a mustache and on. Yeah. <laughs> why not? I mean, why do we waste money on two people when they have the same exact argument just with two different names and i can't keep norma and mary's name straight so you know just call them like mary or morma or exactly yeah who knows i mean why didn't you just defend them together and say some random person did it i don't know you know what i wasn't the lawyer so no one asked me um you probably would have won the case so i would have gotten them out (laughs) on purpose (laughs) but mary's lawyer had one more thing he needed to say um See, Norma grew up in a large family. She was, like, of 11 or 12 kids, but very normal home life. Obviously, they didn't have a ton of money, but very normal, seemed very loved. Mary didn't have that. So Mary's lawyer was able to talk about how abusive her childhood was and claimed as a result she had difficulty knowing the difference between reality and a fantasy. He even referenced the notes left as a nursery, saying it was clear both girls just wanted attention and that the crimes were fantasy-based. Interesting. So for the prosecution, in the closing arguments, they said, I forecast to you that the younger girl, although two years and two months younger than the other, was nevertheless the cleverer and more domineering personality. End quote. Um, I don't know where in Shakespearean times there, because that was a lot. (laughs) Um, He also mentioned how Mary lied multiple times throughout the investigation and literally never showed any remorse. Like, she laughed, she smiled. She only cried that one time when she was on the stand, but I could bet big money that it was fake. Um, And she kind of just acted like it was another day for her. Yeah, or even, like, that fantasy of attention or whatever. Yeah, and when you think about it, though, like, her going to prison probably would have been a lot better life for her anyways than her life at home. So maybe she just was like, I don't really care. I mean, I can't blame her there. But if also, she she's thinks... 11, so how much do you understand the magnitude of what you did? I suppose, 11? but I guess if she's just to play devil's advocate, I'm not saying what she did was right or whatever, but if you're being sold into sex work and your mother has tried to murder you on multiple occasions and all these other things, like, it it follows that that would be a good defense tactic for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, definitely had that one up there. So the trial was actually nine days long, um, and the jury took three short hours to deliberate. What do you think, since you don't know much about this case, what do you think the verdicts are going to be? I think that Norma is going to get, like, accessory, but not murder. And I think Mary is going to get murder. So Norma was acquitted of all crimes. Gross. Okay. Yeah, which, yeah, is very gross to me. Like, okay, yeah, maybe she wasn't as smart as Mary, but she was there. And she even said, I could have told, but I didn't. Like, I could have had Brian not die, but I didn't. So it's like, okay. Anyway, so she was acquitted. um, And basically, they said she was peer pressured into everything. Norma (laughs) was convicted of manslaughter against both Brian and Martin. Just manslaughter? Just manslaughter. Uh, like, no plea, bar- no plea bargain? They just said manslaughter? Manslaughter. Um, not murder. Manslaughter. Okay. So she was sentenced at Her Majesty's Pleasure 
which is basically an indefinite sentence and she'll be released when they feel she's ready. Now I could just imagine in America being sentenced to her majesty's pleasure, which would probably be something called like the president's pleasure or something stupid. Yeah. I mean, and just never being released. (laughs) Well, that's what, I mean, I said this at the beginning, this case reminds me a lot of John Venables and Robert Thompson, the, uh, children who killed James Bolger they were also sentenced to her majesty's pleasure and I think that in a way it's like a good rehabilitation tactic because you don't have like an end date you're working towards right but it also doesn't really like shine through as an effective punishment you know like it's you're just stuck here until we say you're done until we say you're done exactly I feel like that doesn't really give a seriousness to anything um but that's what she was given i guess at 11 what do you give an 11 year old you know like that's such a i mean in america we'd give them life without the possibility of parole <laughs> right <do> that. <laughs> that's um but yeah you know because whatever we're not getting into that again um <laughs> when the verdict was read norma cheered and clapped while mary and her family cried like i mentioned a little bit earlier uh betty was at the whole trial she was there through everything and she very often made Vocal outburst, yelling, crying, whatever it may be, and multiple times had to leave. Like, was asked to leave throughout the whole trial. So she was sobbing, obviously. Um, Mary was only 11, so they didn't really know what to do with her. There wasn't really a place for her. Like I said, in America, they'd be like, you're with the adults. Goodbye. Um, but in the UK, they were like, we don't, we don't have a place for her. She was too dangerous to be, like, with just unruly kids, but she, it, she was too young to be in prison. So what do we do? Um, She was sent first to two different institutions for a short period of time. And then she was placed at the Red Bank Secure Unit, which housed 24 youth offenders. It was originally a male um, institution, but they made it a co-ed institution just for her. So she was the only child, only girl. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Because they didn't know what else to do with her. Um. Betty frequently visited Mary, which would typically always result in Mary acting out after she left. Mary also blamed Betty for all of her crimes. She said if her childhood was not so horrific, she would have never murdered anyone. She wrote a letter to her mom that basically was like, this is all your fault. You need to admit that it was all your fault. So take that. Nature versus nurture, I guess. Nature (laughs) versus nurture. And it's also showing us that she's still taking no accountability for what she did, even though she's 11 or 12. Yeah. Um, while there, she claimed she was sexually assaulted by inmates and prison guards. It was reported that no one at the prison believed her, yet the prison guards that were accused were moved out of the prison shortly after. Maybe for their protection, too, though, like, so it didn't continue to be, like, a targeted thing. That's true, but no crime, no um, charges. Oh, my God. My cat's laying by my feet, and I just looked down. He's just staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Mom's mentally ill again. Yeah, my cat has a British accent. I don't know. Um, anyways, Hector. his name's Hector. Yeah, at sixteen, um, she was transferred to HM Prison in Cheshire. Uh, I don't know why where that accent came from, but <laughs> it was reported that she hated this facility and she applied for parole here and was denied. Three years later, in 1976, she was moved again to More Court Open Prison. An open prison means that the inmates are more trusted um, and given a lot of freedom. They're often allowed to roam the grounds uh, freely and can take up jobs. Putting Mary into this prison um, was to hopefully slowly release her. But only a year later, she escaped. She said, see you later. Um, Mary became Mary Robinson and was on the run and, of course, found a group of men to hang around with. Mary's fun vacation didn't last long, and she was soon caught. I think it was, like, two days long. Oh, um, As punishment, how – what do you think her punishment would be? Um, well, I don't really think they did solitary for youth. No, years, remember, so. we're in England, so. Yeah. Um, I literally I, – I, all of her punishment seems, like, way too soft already, so I'm not even going to, like, hazard a guess. Well, we know in America she would have been sentenced to death and probably killed immediately for Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) Or left on death row. Yeah, she would be in solitary for sure. Um, But she was, she lost prison privileges for 28 days. Oh, okay. Now, I'm not really sure what that means. You know, she just wasn't allowed to walk around freely or what. Um, This 
prison honestly sounds like kind of a boarding school at this point. Like, they're just yeah. kind of allowed to do whatever and work and do whatever. Um, so, like I said, they were preparing for her to be released. Um, she did get a few jobs while she was there. So, she got to learn some skills. Still monitored. But, you know, we're moving on up in the world. So, Mary was released from prison in 1980 at the age of 23. This means she only served about 11 years and a few months in prison for the murder of Brian and Martin. Gross. Yeah. She was given a new name. Um, so she went to go start a fresh life. A representative for Mary said she wishes to be given a chance to live a normal life and to be left alone. End quote. Um, four years later, Mary gave birth to her first and only child, a daughter. Mary raised her daughter and never told her about her past. In 1998, however, um, well, two things happened. The first thing is she wrote a book um, titled Cries Unheard, the story of Mary Bell. She wrote it with Greta Sereny. Um, she talked about her upbringing in this book and detailed her the abuse her mother put her through. Her relatives, friends, and others who knew Mary during the sh- her childhood were also interviewed. So that's kind of interesting. I didn't read the book. Um but it is cool that they have many different perspectives there, I think. Yeah, I definitely try to get all sides of the story. But Exactly. So that same year, and I want to say it was probably partially due to the book, um, her daughter was 14 years old and the media found them living on the Sussex coast. This is when her daughter discovered who her mother was and what her mother did. Um, as a result of the violation of privacy, both Mary and her daughter were granted lifelong anonymity. On anonymity. Oh, anonymity. <laughs> Ooh. Yep. So this means that if someone knows their true identity, they're not allowed to discuss it, and Mary and her daughter cannot discuss it either. I don't think they had this obviously before because she wrote the book, but also I'm like, you wrote a book and published right. it with someone else, and then you're shocked when people find you. Kind of confused there. Um, And then in 2009, Mary's granddaughter was born, and she also got anonymity. Anonymity. Yeah. Anonymity. 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 I don't know. I truly couldn't tell you. So as of today, nobody knows where Mary, her daughter, or her granddaughter live. No one knows what she's doing. Um, However, get ready for this. Okay. It has been said that Mary does acknowledge what she did is wrong and that her abusive childhood is really no excuse for any of her actions. Wow. Look at that growth. Growth took a long time. Um, and this is kind of where the case ends. But like I said, I think this is like such a prime example of nature because I don't believe, I mean, I think some of it could have been nature, but I just believe that so many factors of her life brought her to this yeah absolutely and I mean yeah there's trauma and there's things that you know could lead to this in her childhood sure but there's also other people this has happened to that didn't go strangle people that's true but I've never heard of anyone that not only was sexually verbally and physically abused and her their parents tried to kill them multiple times but their best friend at the age of five was hit by a bus in front of her fair I just, yeah, I don't know. I have a hard time with the the nurture debate, I think. Like, it's... Do you think people are just born the way they're born? I think they have certain inclinations to be a certain way. And that if they do have, like, these psychopathy or sociopathy traits, they have to work very hard to um, fight against those instincts. And not everybody has the willpower or ability to do so based on their circumstances, but I don't think they're separate instances. I think nature and nurture work together to create people's uh, personalities and like how they approach life. But yeah, I could agree to that actually as my boy, you know, my love, Dr. Phil says a lot is that like your babies are born with like a clean slate basically. And people write on them as they Mm -hmm. get older. But, yeah, I definitely think there are things you're just born a certain way. Like, you know, personalities. I think there are certain just things about you, me, and everyone that no matter how much you are loved or not loved or whatever would be raised by, that's just how you are, you know. And I just like I think some people are predispositioned for mental illness and all these other things. And I just don't believe that she wasn't a 
mentally ill of any way, shape, or form. Well, and that psychopathy isn't considered a mental illness. Like, there's... Yeah, which doesn't make sense to me. Right. But yeah. that's where I leave you. What do you think about Miss Mary Bell? Is she dark enough for you? Oh, girl, she's dark enough. I just... I'm one of those, like, these, these are, this is my type of case. Like, I don't know, I know. who you are and what you're doing, but I know. I just, I'm, now I want everything. Like, I want to, I want to go read the book. I want to know where she is because I'm sure she's not dead. I feel like that would have been announced. Yeah. Um, and she really, what would, would be like, she was born in 56. Here we go. Here comes my math major brain. She'd be Big in brain her 60s. Energies. She's definitely still alive. Yeah. I feel like when she dies, it'll be announced. Well, unless, because her granddaughter and daughter get anonymity as well, so maybe not. That's true. I wonder if her mom's still alive. Like I said, um, I'm depressed, so I didn't do uh, all the research on the world about it. But I'm like, why are you going to come out the book and then be sad when people find out where you are, you know? Or shocked, right? Yeah. And I do really feel bad for, I don't think we've even talked about it, really, Brian and Martin's parents, like, your children were killed and that she got 11 years in jail and the other person just nothing happened. Well, and she decided to write a book about it. Like, yeah. About her life. Her own crimes. About right? her life. About how, what happened to her. Led her to do these. Led her to things. do that. So I'm like, do you really take any accountability? Because in 1998, you still were not. Right. I just don't think she feels bad. Or if she I does, don't. it doesn't outweigh the fact that she feels entitled to that. She's going to blame her mom for it. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, that's where we leave you today, folks. Tell us nature versus nurture. Follow us on Instagram. Is that too dark? Let us know what you think. Uh, you can also suggest cases there. We do that quite often. We sometimes talk throughout the week about what's going on in the crime world. Um, rate us five stars. Tell a friend. Subscribe where you listen. Um, and tell Built Bar to sponsor us. Please. They're Please. coming out with some good flavors and we're tired of the puffs. We just want the bars. We don't want again. the puffs. We just want the bars. But if we're paid to promote the puffs, we will promote the puffs. Yeah. All right. That's it for us this week, y'all. We'll see you next week for Kaylin's disgusting spooky shit. We'll see what comes up. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. <laughs>